Amen. Morning. Morning. Welcome to community. Glad you're here. Uh, and welcome to all of you uh, live streaming or watching this later on video. We're glad that you're joining us in your own virtual way. Uh, special welcome to my family, who all of which are home with the flu. Oh, is right. And I mean, at least I wasn't gone all week at a conference out of state while they had the flu. I was. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, welcome. Behave. And that goes for all of you, not just my children. Behave. But a decade ago, New York Times published an article called Happiness 101. And in this article, <clears throat> In this article, they looked at what's, what's the source of happiness for Americans. And, and really, it was for all people. Well, what is the source of happiness? What, what do you got to do to be happy? And what they found, what these researchers found, who wrote the article, is that our quest to find happiness is actually completely wrong. What we believe will find happiness doesn't lead to happiness at all. What we believe is that we need to continually seek pleasure. Seek pleasure, and seek more pleasure, and then seek more pleasure, and then seek more pleasure. Problem is, pleasure and happiness don't go hand in hand. They're not related. Because pleasure doesn't have any longevity when it comes to fulfillment. You have to keep chasing the next one. You have to ante up. And that chase exhausts us. That chase of temporary fulfillment leaves us weary. It doesn't leave us happy. Fascinating thing about this article it isn't the problem that they found, which is in and of itself fairly fascinating, but the problem was their solution that they offered was the complete opposite of what you'd imagine. Their solution for how do we find happiness, what do we have to do to correct this quest of happiness, they said you have to pour yourself out. Pour out all that you are. So if you're not happy, give of yourself. Serve. Volunteer. If you're not happy, give of your resources. Give money. Give things. If you're not happy, align yourself with a mission, a ministry, or a cause that you can put your life into. That sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds like a great thing. That sounds right. But there's a problem with the solution they offer. The problem with the solution is that it's self-defeating. It's a circular argument. Because if I'm to do that, if I'm seeking happiness and I'm seeking fulfillment and I'm pouring myself out in acts of service because that is how I find fulfillment, those acts of service are no longer acts of service. They are actually a means to an end, and that end is me. If you want to be happy, pull yourself out in acts of service, which then, by definition, aren't acts of service Just trying to fulfill yourself. In some sick, twisted, self-centered ways, those deeds become all about us. The researchers, maybe, maybe they didn't know this, but their, their suggestion of pouring yourself out for fulfillment hits 
on the spirit that is religion, religiosity, works righteousness. It's the same spirit that says you have to earn God's favor. Sadly, today in 2018, we know that spirit all too well, don't we? We know it all too well. Maybe not in the fullness of our faith, but in parts of it. But this the spirit of religiosity, the spirit of works righteousness, of earning God's favor, is nothing new either. It's not new today. Let's set the scene for our passage this morning. <clears throat> Maybe we won't set the scene for our passage this morning. <laughs> Let's set the scene for our passage this morning. <clears throat> We're in Matthew 11. Beginning of Matthew 11, John the Baptist is in prison. He, uh, he's in prison and is enduring quite a hardship he knows he's not walking out of prison alive. He's walking out through death and death alone. And in this moment of enduring hardship and imprisonment, he actually starts to doubt everything that he's practiced and preached in his ministry. He begins to doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. He begins to doubt that all of his yell. Do you want me to yell? Sure. Uh, we'll switch. Totally kidding. That joke never gets old. <laughs> All right, John the Baptist, set in the scene, Matthew 11. John the Baptist, at the beginning, is starting to doubt the things that he practiced and he preached. He's doubting his ministry. He's doubting the message that he was so sure of. He's imprisoned, probably not getting out alive. In fact, certainly not getting out alive. And so he calls out to Jesus. <laughs> Are these things true? And Jesus responds, and he tells him, yes. He affirms John. He says, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, you were the one that went ahead to prepare the way, goes on to say some very nice things, offers a very nice tribute to John, saying that he is one that has no one before him when it comes to being a human, that he is set apart and special. He affirms John and frees him from his doubt. And then he goes on and he addresses, Jesus addresses those who are criticizing John. Because there were those who said John was demon-possessed. John the Baptist living out in the wilderness, eating locusts, wearing camel's hair, telling people the Messiah's coming, you better repent. He's got to be crazy. He's demon-possessed. And Jesus was also criticized by these same people 
who were critics of John the Baptist. Instead of, instead of calling him demon-possessed, they, they referred to Jesus as a drunkard, as a glutton, as one of those guys who hangs out with the sinners and the tax collectors. There's no way someone who's holy would do those things. They weren't pleased with John the Baptist. They weren't pleased with Jesus. And Jesus says to them, you are like children playing games in the marketplace. Nothing satisfies you. You're going to find a problem with everything. Jesus then gives a very strong reproach against the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. You see, Jesus had performed the majority of his miracles in these cities. He had expelled a great amount of grace upon these cities. They had seen and heard the truth, but in large part, they didn't repent. They saw Jesus, they heard Jesus, they witnessed miracles, and yet they said, hmm, no, our way's right, your way's wrong. Jesus, you're not the way. I'm going to stick to my religion. I'm going to stick to my law. I'm going to stick to the Roman way. I'm going to stick to the world's way. That's how I'm going to find favor in the long run. They chose religion, religiosity over Jesus. We enter into the scriptures this morning at a point where the religious culture has decided that their way is the right way. Their law, their works, their efforts are more reliable than the truth that is Jesus. Matthew 11, a few verses beginning at 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come, take, learn. Come, take, learn. These are the three words I want to lean into with you this morning. Let's lean into these things together. Come, take, learn. We've heard this passage before, many of us. Come, take, learn. That's this morning. The passage begins with Jesus praising the Father, the Lord of all things, for the fact that he's chosen to reveal his goodness, reveal his grace, reveal himself through the Son to those he chooses. And Jesus says, come to me, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The word here isn't just come. It's actually here plus come. It's Jesus is saying, come here. It's an invitation. Come here to me. Change your path. Come here. Change directions. Come to me. Come to me. I invite you to change your ways. I know you're weary. I know you're burdened. Jesus invites. But why are they burdened? Why are they heavy laden? 
Well, I mean, obviously sin. Sin's heavy. It's a heavy burden in and of itself. It's a burden that makes us weary. But these people are also steeped in religiosity. They're steeped in legalism. They're trying to earn their favor with God. And that's impossible to do because of sin, right? We can't earn favor because we are sinful. And sin is such a burden that humanity is incapable of carrying it. And so when this group is trying to carry their own sin by following rules and laws and stipulations, they're actually adding insult to injury. You're not able to carry sin, and so trying to carry it, you're just going to get hurt. I mean, they're following the Mosaic law, right? The Ten Commandments, all these other laws. The, 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 the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, they're adding, they added something like 600 laws to the already couple thousand laws of the Old Testament for righteousness. They're taking a law, trying to obey it so they can, get, so they can be righteous in the eyes of God, but the law was never meant to produce righteousness. The law was intended to produce our awareness of our need for a savior. So they follow the law, try to fix the problem of sin by their own efforts, but they make it worse because sin is much too heavy on its own. There are weary people, burdened, heavy laden. And we're the same. We're the same. Some of us carry the weight of sin without ever coming to Jesus. Maybe you're in here and you've been to church a whole lot. You've come often, but you've never actually come to Jesus. Maybe you've heard his invitation, but you never come to him. You haven't changed your direction. Maybe you're here and you've never even heard the call of Jesus. Well, I'm telling you what, he is inviting you. Come to him, change your ways. He'll give you rest. He'll give you rest. Then there's others of us. There's other of us, other, others of us who've heard his call. We've heard him say, come here. But the problem is we trust God. We trust Jesus with our sin, but we don't trust him with our forgiveness. I'm going to say it again. We trust Jesus with our sin, but we don't trust him with our forgiveness. What I mean by that is I'm fine taking the guilt and shame of my sin and nailing it to the cross However, when it comes to earning God's favor, I'm going to do that myself. I don't want the guilt and shame, but I feel guilty if I don't do things like go to church or pray or get in the word or, or do certain Christian things. I, I, I feel guilty because I feel like I have to do those things to earn God's favor. I don't want the guilt, but I'll take it over here. No guilt of sin, but I'll take the guilt of religiosity. So we go to church and we do our devotions and we read the word and we volunteer and we serve and we even pray to gain God's approval. And we should be doing these things. These are wonderful things. These are going to help you grow in intimacy with our Lord. It's going to help you mature as a believer, as a follower. All of these things are good. But we should be doing them out of God's approval for us, not for his approval of us. We do these things out of God's approval of us instead of for God's approval of us. Because God already approves of all of us. He loves you. Regardless of what you've done, how broken you are, how dirty you feel, 
He doesn't love you because of your good deeds. If he can love you despite your brokenness, do you think the good deeds make him love you anymore? God approves. You don't need to earn it. Because of Jesus, his son, who knows the Father and the Father knows. And Jesus chooses you. And he says, come here. Come here to me. Forget all that other stuff. Forget forget all the, the rules. Forget all the religiosity. Forget all the works. Forget all the guilt and all the shame. Come to me. You're weary and I am rest. Jesus calls and then he says, take. Take. Take my yoke upon you, a new yoke. Notice this. It's not take the world's yoke from me. I'm not going to, hold on, let me make, I'm not making sense to myself. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to take the world's yoke from you and give you a vacation. He says, take my yoke instead of the world's yoke. There's still a yoke. You may know that a yoke was this device that was custom crafted, right? It went over the backs of animals so they could pull, so they could labor. Yokes were custom crafted. Individual to each animal, each specific animal, so that the weight would be evenly distributed. So that there weren't pressure points, there wasn't pain, the labor wasn't harder than it needed to be. But there was still labor. The term yoke was often used as a metaphor for submission, specifically in the time that Jesus is sharing this. You see, students who wanted to follow rabbis would often be told to submit by taking the yoke of the rabbi. In fact, the the exact advice to Jewish students was to put your neck under his, the rabbi's, yoke and let your soul receive instruction. To take a yoke is to submit to whomever you are yoked. Two animals yoked together can't go separate ways. And God yoked himself to humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus invites us to take his yoke, to submit control and follow him. Come, take my yoke. And follow me. He says, I'll carry the burden of your sin. You can give it to me. I will guide you. I will walk with you. And I will give you rest. Come and take so that you'll learn. This is the same root word as the word disciple. Come, take so that you may learn and become his disciple. This is an invitation to discipleship learning Jesus' way, following those ways, following him and him alone, shedding all other metrics, all other measurements, all of other expectations of righteousness, of holiness, of religious rules, shedding all other cultural expectations, all other accusations and burdens. Learn to be a disciple. Be my disciple. Be like him. That's it. 
Pastor Doug and I were uh, at a conference, as I mentioned earlier, right, <clears throat> this past week on church multiplication. And this is, it, it's a smaller conference, and that's intentional, and you gather in groups, and you talk through things, and you problem solve, and there's some speakers, and <clears throat> this wasn't a theme for the week, but it was something that kept bubbling up in our groups, in our conversations, even from some of the speakers. One of the things that kept bubbling up was that discipleship is actually spelled R-I-S-K. Risk. Because it is. It's a risk to leave our ways. It's a risk to accept Christ's invitation to come, to take his yoke, to submit control, and to learn. It's a risk. And what in this world are we taught to do with risk? What are we taught to do with risk? Weigh it. Risk, reward. Is it worth the risk? The reward of taking Jesus' offer to come, take, and learn is a change of masters. It's a change of life. It's rest for your soul. Because Jesus is no taskmaster. He is strong and tender. He is great and gentle. He is honest and humble. His yoke is easy. Kindly, pleasant. And it's made custom for each of us because he knows each of us intimately. His yoke is not an affliction or a hardship, but the load of following Jesus is still a load. It's hard, it's not a hardship. But it's a load that we're yoked with him to carry. When we're yoked to man's way, to the world, to religiosity, the yoke is hard and the burden is heavy and it's so heavy that we're incapable of succeeding in our own efforts because those efforts cause further harm. Come, take, learn, and I will give you rest. But what do you do when you know those things, but something's still standing in your way? What do you do when your mind is there and your heart isn't? Like, you know what to do. You know what not to do. You know you can't conquer sin on your own. You know, you know what's right. You know what you need to be doing. You know what you should be doing. You know you need Jesus. You know you hear the invitation. You want to take the yoke. You know it. You know it. Your mind knows these things, but your heart, it's, it's just not there yet. It's not there yet. So you don't feel remorse over your sin. You don't, you don't feel remorse over the ideals you're, that you have that are man-made. You don't feel remorse over the thoughts and actions that you have and that you take that you know are harmful, that you know are selfish. You can't let go of trying to earn God's favor. I know I don't have to earn God's favor, but I keep trying to earn God's favor, and I have this guilt and this shame, and I can't get rid of it. My heart's not there. I know, but I can't do it. What do you do? What do you do when there's this gap between your head and your heart? In the scriptures, there's this phrase, and it's all over through the scriptures. Once I say it, you're going to go, I've heard that. The phrase is this, wait on the Lord. Wait on 
the Lord. And let me tell you, waiting on the Lord, it's not as pleasant as it sounds. In fact, in, the, in, in Psalms, um, especially in Psalm 42, it's probably one of the most intense psalms that there are. And David is fighting with himself in this psalm. And he screams, why are you so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God. His mind knows, but his heart isn't there yet. His mind knows. Don't make a God of that. Don't try to do this yourself. It's not going to work. Put your trust in God. Put your hope in God. Bow down before God. Serve God. Why are you downcast, my soul? Believe in God. He knows, but his heart's not there yet. He's not ready to take the risk. But he knows he should. If this is you, if you're like David, I'm like David. If you're like David, how do you wait on God? How do you wait on the Lord in this situation? I'll tell you how. By positioning yourself under the waterfall of grace that is Jesus. And stand. Listen to his call. Take his yoke and say, Lord, I need you to break my heart. I need you to strip the callus. I need you to return the joy of my salvation to me. Lord, make make you my treasure. Take his yoke and be honest with God about where you are. Because those who wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will mount up wings like eagles. They will run and no longer be weary. They will walk and no longer be faint. Come, take, learn, and you will find rest from your weariness. And the rest that we find, we find a rest of assurance that we don't have to be the ones responsible for our salvation anymore. Because in Jesus, it is finished. By the Holy Spirit, we are sealed. We have a blessed assurance of our salvation forever. And so we can rest in his assurance. We can come to find rest in that assurance. But we also find a rest in our identity that we have in him because we are God's children. We are his chosen ones. We are heirs in Christ We get to take that identity and put it on ourselves when we accept the yoke of Jesus. We find rest in the fact that we now know who we are in Christ. We aren't what the world says. We aren't insignificant. And we find rest in the fact that we know that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. Your life has meaning. It counts. And as insignificant as you may feel at times, you matter. Not only to God, but in the grand scheme of things, he's got a plan for you and he's going to perfect it. He promises that. Because we've been invited to learn. We've been invited to be his disciple, to grow, to follow him, because he has a purpose, a mission. And he wants us to be a part of it. We can rest in our learning. 
rest in his faithfulness. We get to rest in all of it. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't ever heard the invitation of Christ, I am blessed to have shared it with you. He chose you and he's calling to you. If you are here this morning and you've heard the invitation of Christ and you've kind of said yes to it, but you've gotten to taking on the yoke and you're just not able to put it on yet. Yeah, I'm good with Jesus. I'd call myself a Christian, but I'm not able to, to put that yoke on yet. Take the risk. Maybe you've actually taken, the, taken his yoke, right? The problem is, as you're walking with Jesus, you're not following his way. You're not going step by step with him. You're actually trying to veer off a little bit, and it's actually hurting you because you're trying to pull Jesus, and you can't pull Jesus. Your head says, I know I need to walk with him, so I put on the yoke, but your heart's not there yet, and you're trying to go your own way. You're trying to earn God's favor. You're trying to do certain things to make sure that you're good with God. If that's you, take the risk and lean into the learning. Be his disciple mimic him and follow him one step at a time one step at a time and he'll give you rest from all of it why are you so downcast my soul believe in God and take the risk because we're all weary all of us in different ways in different magnitudes but we're all weary and Jesus calls come take learn so I've got to ask will you go will you accept his invitation will you change your direction and come to him will you submit and wait putting on his yoke even though you don't know the future and taking a step at a time trusting that his rest is enough. Yeah, it's a risk to give up control. It's discipleship. And the reward is rest. So come and find the rest of assurance. Take rest in who you are because of who he is and learn to rest in his faithfulness. Come, take, learn, and rest. Because the risk is far outweighed by the reward. Pray with me. Father, this is simple. This is a simple prayer of confession and, 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 and a simple prayer, a simple request. Jesus, is in your name, the Holy Spirit, we ask that you lead us to a place of repentance right now, a place of changing direction, taking off the yoke that's burdening us whether that's sin or religiosity or the culture, whatever that may be, taking your yoke, saying, I want to learn, I want to be your disciple because you want me to be. Move in us, Holy Spirit, as we worship you. Thank you for your intimacy with us. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, your strong and tender name. Invention time. <laughs> As I'm singing that song, I just realized I'm preaching a message totally anti-legalism, right? And yet, to start the message, I was like, hey, kids, behave. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They're not, I'm sure they're not watching anymore either, but I'm going to have to go apologize. So I'm just confessing that in front of all of you. I see the hypocrisy in my own ways. I'm broken and fallen. Give me a break. 
Hear the words from the book of Romans as our benediction this morning. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.